0: I like that big long pause, like after you click go live. Uh, There we go, all right. All right, all right. And I was trying not to be like a totally different guy when the camera's on. Hi! (laughs) 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 Try to be sort of the same guy when the camera goes on, more or less, so it doesn't seem too schizoid, like which side of staff am I dealing with? The on-air personality (laughs) or just the regular old dude? Hi, everybody. So this is Steph, of course, from Free Domain. I'm here with Dr. Paul Cottrell. Not a medical doctor. Let's not get anyone confused. He's en route, but has not achieved his destination as we speak. And yeah, we're going to do some thoughts about where the world is as parts of it seem to be entering or are, in fact, entering. The third wave. That's right. Sting said love is the seventh wave. Fall is the third wave for coronavirus. Thanks, uh, Dr. Cottrell, for taking the time tonight.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate these conversations that we have, uh, you know, throughout this whole crisis. You know, we're trying to inform the public and, uh, you know, try to use logic and, and navigate through this whole crisis.
0: Feels, uh, feels like it's been a while. Um, not since we've talked, but it feels like it's been a while that this has been going on. I mean Uh, because I started plugging into this stuff. uh, It was kind of a fortunate coincidence that I was out in, I developed a lot of contacts, which sounds, I guess, probably cooler than it is. But I developed a lot of contacts out in Hong Kong, when I was there to do my documentary. And they were the ones who reached out to me and said, Hey, remember Chernobyl? (laughs) This is going to be worse. And I was like, Okay, now that you have my attention, (laughs) perhaps you could Mm -hmm. tell me more. So I was fairly early out of the gate with this kind of stuff, and uh, it really is um, uh, it really is uh, something else. And it really, of course, we knew it was going to be a long haul. It was going to be a long haul given how embedded this stuff gets into the world systems. It wasn't going to be, uh, you know, the 60s. It wasn't going to be the 50s with the flu. Uh, it wasn't going to be uh, MERS. It certainly wasn't going to be Ebola. I pushed back hard against the Ebola panic way back in the day. And uh, it wasn't going to be sars O three 3 because this thing does have this horrible incubation time. And it is asymptomatic. And we've just got new data that it's been confirmed to live. And it's funny because I was talking about this way back in the day, like watch out for cash. And I showed videos of people in China boiling cash. Now they found out this virus can live for up to 28 days on uh, hard surfaces, on things like coins and even... um, banknotes and so on so man it's um it's a nasty thing and where are you in the arc of sort of processing everything that's going on with all of this because you know we've all got to have a life at the same time and how's it affecting you
1: well, just so I inform the public, I don't really have a life because I'm studying for medical school, so... You are preparing <laughs> but, to give life in right? the so only I way really, that you can. So I don't really have a life. But but with that said, um, it's important to realize that this crisis is an evolving crisis and that uh, new data comes out. And school, we've been going so. back and forth early on in the Wuhan days of this crisis, it was only in Wuhan. Um there was news announcements about it being 28-day 20, um, surface contamination. Yeah, I remember that too. And then, And then when it came to New York, the CDC said, you know what, the results are showing that it's about 14 days. And then now we're back to the Wuhan original data that was coming out of the University of Hong Kong. I've been somewhat more heavier-weighted on the Hong Kong data and those, those researchers than any researchers coming out anywhere, even in the United States. I, I think they've been more on target um, throughout this whole crisis. So they did say that it was 28 days. Now, maybe what is happening is, is that different temperatures affect the, the actual incubation period on surfaces or in the body. So, um, or you know, the the, the level of uh, contamination on on a surface may last longer uh, in lower temperatures. You got to remember that the Wuhan crisis started in December, January. Well, that's the cold season. So the data that was coming out back then was during the cold season. So it could be it could be very possible that surface contamination is 14 days in the summer months. And when you go more into the colder weather, um, that that surface contamination and incubation period uh, may actually be longer.
0: What kind it's- of reprieve have people gotten over the summer? Because I remember when I was, you know, growing up, you know, the summer cold was, was kind of a rarity, right? That was sort of what was considered, right? And. There are, of course, some people who say, you know, it turned out to be not so bad, but then they are kind of confusing solving this problem with sort of actually having uh, summer months, right? So based upon sort of your understanding of these coronaviruses, how they circulate, what kind of break, uh, artificial reprieve, in a sense, have people been getting uh, at the dead cat bounce of, of the pandemic because of the summer months?
1: Well, we haven't been getting one. I mean, that's the problem. I mean, you know, for, for example, a reprieve mentally, and then there is a reprieve physically. That, you know, those are two separate issues. Mentally, we have not had a reprieve. Normally, in the, in the summer months, you, you know, you go outside and, you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're enjoying nature or whatever. You're exercising. You're, you're, you're going on vacations. Throughout most of this year, people have been locked indoors, either for, forcibly or they're afraid to go out. All right, so there is that psychological component of not you know, being, quote, free. And then you have many areas of the country, so let's say the eastern seaboard, had the big infection from March to about mid-May. All right? And then you had a big wave happening in other states in June to August. And then we have this third wave, if you look at the aggregate data in the United States, that's starting... To happen um, in other states. So we really, in the, in the United States, we haven't had a reprieve of, of, you know, some sort of infection.
0: There has been, I mean, so there was a, an initial climb, and then it leveled and sunk a little bit, another little bump went down a little bit, and now right. it does seem to be sort of trending upwards. So I just got some data here I wanted to share and get your thoughts on. Yeah. So uh, this is from uh, yesterday from uh, BuzzFeed. <laughs> BuzzFeed it sounds like something would feast on Mike Pence's hair. But um, so they said uh, a third wave of COVID hospitalizations as Election Day nears. They said uh, first the coronavirus ravaged the Northeast. Then it hit the Sun Belt Now hospitals across the Midwest and Northern Plains are feeling the strain as COVID-19 continues to stalk the nation. And uh, the, uh, yeah, the daily new cases, yeah, they sort of started, uh, caught, hit, hit a peak around uh, early mid-April, declined a little bit over the summer. Then July, they started climbing up. It's kind of beaten back down again uh, in August, and now they're back up sort of from late September, sort of early August. Same thing is kind of happening with the hospitalizations, and uh, so they're... There is uh, There are these waves, and this is all kind of compressed. Like I did a little presentation, or quite a big presentation on the Spanish flu about, you know, it was, it was pretty mild in the spring, really kind of half disappeared over the summer and then hit like death itself in, in the fall. And I guess that's sort of the big question now with the colder temperatures, you know, people being inside all the time. Uh, I remember being kind of blown away when I first heard that a cold was called a cold, not because you caught it because you were cold, uh, but simply because... People were indoors with the cold, of course, the most common coronavirus around, the one that we've all had at one time or another. And so, I, you know, certainly up here in Canada, like the colder weather, yeah, people are just going to be jammed indoors. And there's not a whole lot that can be done about that because, you know, you can stand outside for a smoke, but you can't stand outside to avoid a pandemic. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, this is those inflection points you're talking about, that's a good way to indicate if we're going into a new wave or not. So you have a curve and you have an inflection point. It's based on differential slopes and stuff. But but if something changes direction, that inflection point is showing that you have a new wave. Now, if, now when we're looking at a country level, we're looking at the aggregate data. And then in the United States, you see the three waves. If you look at the world at, in the aggregate, you also see the three waves. But it's a different curve. Now... In some states, let's say New York, we had one wave, even though the country has seen three waves. All right, So that's why I keep on, I, I, I use the term aggregate. At the aggregate level, there are three waves. But in the, it, it, let's say in New York, we are just starting to see that inflection right after the holiday, the Jewish holiday, where, where it's starting to tick up. There's more cases. Uh, COVID, you know, uh, COVID-19 positive cases in Brooklyn and in Queens. There are more hospitalizations at the state level. It's staying at about 800 or so, 850 in hospitalizations. It hasn't breached the 1,000 mark yet. But in terms of uh, where we are right now, we're kind of where we used to be near the tail end of May for mm. New York. OK, so we went through that big hump in March and April and then started going back down. And And May, we kind of like started breathing, a, you know, OK, maybe things are getting better here. And we flattened that, you know, that that infection curve was was very low. It was it was smashed. All right. And then it all of a sudden it started ticking back up. All right. And we have those clusters that are happening in Brooklyn and in Queens. Now, what's important is not to really look at just that the, the um, COVID-19 positive cases, testing positive, what, what to look for is the hospitalizations, but that number is hard to get. It's, it's not easy to get, and it's not published by Johns Hopkins, unfortunately. I've been begging for someone to like, build a database that shows the hospitalizations, at least at the state level, but it's hard to get that data. That's an important data point, but you can get a hint of what's going on in the hospitalizations, if you look at number of people that are being tested, new tests for that day who are testing positive, positive divided by the number of new tests. And that number, if that stays at about 09 to about 1.5%, then you're OK. When it starts ticking up to 5%, then you have a problem. And that is what we're seeing with the clustering in 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 Brooklyn so you can somewhat get that data you know figuring out uh, how much how many new cases that were tested you know that tested positive divided by the number of people that actually were tested that way that argument that it's all about just testing more you just get a bigger number you no know, if you look at that ratio that I'm talking about then you understand the dynamic of what's changing. See, so a lot of people are using the, the argument, well, if you just test more, then you'll get more cases per day. That's true. But what you really want to know is the ratio of positive cases to the number of people tested for that day. Then you have an understanding of what's the changing dynamic that's going on through this crisis. So that's, those are two ways. To find out if we are, are, are we really getting in a worrisome situation? I think we're on a knife's edge at the moment for the third wave in the United States.
0: Go, go on with that. I'll, I'll hold my question. Go on.
1: Well, I mean, the reason why I think we're on a knife's edge is is that these clusters that are popping up in the United States are testing higher than five percent, hmm. and that's a problem. And you know, as that builds up, if these people are not being treated properly. You can start getting that severe infection. We know that if it's treated properly early, you probably will be fine but though there are there are a certain percentage that if not treated, it's going to be severe and probably permanent damage. See the problem that this is the reason why Trump was not just because he was a president, but part of the reason why he was treated with the way he was treated was that they knew that if you stop that cytokine storm early, this is data that came out of the University of Hong Kong, if you stop that cytokine storm early with corticosteroids, then you you have a higher chance of preventing that uh, total destruction of those alveolar sac. All right? So the corticosteroids that he was given was important. On top of, he was given that remdosphere. Remdesphere is kind of like a wedge into the replicase all right, that actually helps create more of, of the RNA of the virus, all right, and, 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 and code for proteins for the virus. If you put a wedge in that replicase, it, it doesn't work. All right. So, and then you can take protease inhibitors that prevents certain enzymes to fold correctly. To allow for the replicates to even start, so if you attack it like almost like a cocktail, which he was kind of given, we learned from from HIV that if you give a cocktail of drugs that you can pr- suppress that the, the, the growth of the virus in, 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 but you couldn't get rid of it, at least for AIDS, but he was he was given this cocktail and you treated it early um. Now, what's really important here is, is that the, the regenerant, a monoclonal antibody, it's not a vaccine. What that basically is, is, is that they m- manipulated in the lab to s- synthetically make an antibody that was very similar to what antibodies were made by individuals that, that um, survive SARS CoV 2 and produce their own antibody because we don't have enough of the convalescent plasma antibodies to give everybody. The only way is to create an antibody in the lab. Well, that's what Regenerin did with the monoclonal antibody. So by doing that, it's suppressing the virus and giving time for the body to come up with its own antibodies to fight the virus. It's buying time. So treating early is, is important. And this, is, this leads to the next discussion. T- Trump proved that you don't have to have a forced vaccine. There's a th- therapeutic route if you catch it early.
0: Well, so, so that's, that's the interesting thing, right? And oh, no, I'm sorry, that sort of implies that the rest of what you said wasn't. But, <laughs> but, but here's something I can add to. Okay, let's get, get excited about that. So yeah, one of the things that bothers me with this sort of rolling death toll is, is how unbelievably unfair it is to the new knowledge that's available on how to deal with COVID-19, right? So there are therapeutics that have now gone through the rig, the, the run of the mill, the rigor, they've gone through all of that, right? They've been put through the mill. And so to say, well, we're just going to keep a rolling total of the death count, to me, is really unfair. What should be happening is last 30-day death count, last 30-day hospitalization, last 30-day You know, Mm -hmm. uh, people who've slid Mm -hmm. into the long haulers, Mm -hmm. like the people who just can't shake the symptoms. Because as it's sort of like if you were to total all the AIDS deaths before there were therapeutics to deal with like AZT, I think it was. uh, Before there were therapeutics to deal with AIDS, uh, most people died. And, And you can't really just aggregate it all. And I would really like that broken out because I think that would give people some sense of security as to... Yeah, like the de- it's not the death count it isn't just coming down because younger people are getting it more, which is certainly a factor, but it is also because there is this testing and therapeutic regime that if people get a sense of confidence about, um, they may not be like, can't wait for
1: the vaccine, which is going to have its own issues, which we'll get to. I totally agree with you. I think that there's not enough segmentation of the data from Johns Hopkins to understand the full dynamics. So when it's published to the... To the public, the, the 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 lay the lay public, they're only seeing headline numbers, total deaths, total total uh, confirmed cases. All right, those are important numbers, but it doesn't allow you to ask in-depth questions off of those aggregated numbers. We we need to segment the data. And that's why I keep on saying, we need to know the hospitalizations. We need to know the ICUs. We also need to know which arms of, of individuals that are being treated in a hospital setting with which type of drug to understand what the, what the, um, the recovery rates are. Is it three weeks with Remdesphere and uh, let's say five days with Regeneron? You know, these are important questions that everyone needs to know, because when you have a business and you're trying to decide, let's say, you, you know, you're a CEO of a, a, a 10,000 employee bit you know, business, all right? All right. And, you know, you're on the stock exchange and you're making these decisions. Okay. We're, we're not going to do remote anymore. and We're going to bring people back to the office. Let's hear Jamie Dimon from, J, from JP Morgan. You know, you got to make these decisions and you need, you, you want data. To, to make an educated decision, the, the headline number, you can't ask those sorts of questions. And that's why I keep on saying it's important to look at ratios, not just total data. So I'm, I'm totally with you on this. I think the more segmentation of the data, the better for everybody. Because what happens is, is that when you can ask that question of what is, what's really going on, then people will say, do we really need a forced vaccine? See, if you just do the headline number, then Fauci can promote the vaccine program. (laughs) But, you know, because they'll just say, well, you know, we've already had a quarter of a million deaths. You don't want to have that happen to, you know, know, to your son or daughter, right? But then when you start looking at, well, how many people actually, you know, how many of those cases were comorbidities? How many of those were severe cases? How many of those were the, the early stage of this where we didn't know how to treat it? And we put them on ventilators that we shouldn't have, or or just caught it really late. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, you know, there's, there's, you know, when you have a problem, you ran a business. I mean, you know, when you have a problem, you're you're making decisions. You want to look at data, and and you want to be able to drill down. Just for those who don't
0: know that the statement is always: you cannot manage what you cannot measure. So that was right. always my first question. I've got a great idea. Somebody would say to me, and it's like, okay, how are we going to measure it? And they'd be like, long pause. <laughs> it's like, hey, right. if, if then you then can't it's not measure a great it, idea, <laughs> uh, then it's you know you you can tell me a story if you want over lunch, but it's not a business thing if you can't measure it. This feature would be great. How many customers have asked for it, and how much would they be willing to pay for it? And what's the how long will it take for us to recoup right. the investment in building that feature? I don't know, it just hit me in the shower. It's like, well, uh, hitting you in the shower is not an argument for a business case. So. And same thing with medicine, right? If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And if the measuring is all blobbed in together, you know, I have sort of this weird suspicion that if Biden gets in, in a couple of weeks, suddenly they'll shift the reporting, right? So that it'll be like, do you know that your odds of surviving now are blah, 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 right? 99.99, whatever. And it's yeah. like, there's going to be this miracle turnaround. Right. Of, exactly. of how great things are now compared to when that evil Trump guy was in
1: charge. Right, exactly. And the way that, the, and here's the problem. John, Johns Hopkins is financed by the Bloomberg Foundation. All right, and Bloomberg's been going against Trump. He's been, I mean, he's being sued in what he's been doing uh, in, in Florida with trying to get uh, convicts out and, you know, getting them on, the, uh, you know, uh, as voters and, and, and all this stuff. So I, I, I'll tell you, there is an orchestrated effort using this crisis to try to hurt the president and reduce his chances of reelection. So let's let's talk about. Oh, I, I, I
0: gritted through the town hall. Um, tonight Trump did a town hall which was going up against Biden which is apparently big a lot of things are going on today uh, Twitter uh, censored the official Trump campaign uh, she, they, they censored uh, the um, the press secretary uh, Sebastian uh, Gorka they, they, they um, uh, Jack Posobiec, a lot of other people for tweeting about this uh, New York Post story about Hunter Biden and the laptop and the unbelievably ghastly Sex videos and photos and and God knows what else is on there. <laughs> Talking about your viruses, the fact that this came into America or came into a shop right before COVID is probably not unrelated. Actually, it is. I'm just trying to make a joke. But um, so yeah, a lot of stuff went on today, and then Twitter went down right after Tucker Carlson said, "Hey, we've got new uh, we got new emails from uh, this, and maybe they had new photos as well." So a, lo- a lot of stuff went on today that was you know, kind of kind of wild, kind of powerful. But one of the things that I noticed in the town hall, uh, over and above the inevitable question about white supremacy, because there are just ghosts everywhere in people's minds. But there was this, you know, over two, I think it's 210 or something like that, 1,000 now Americans uh, are supposed to have died. Although, of course, we all know the number is well north of 90% of those who had significant comorbidities that, you know, doesn't mean that it wasn't the virus, but it also means it wasn't only the virus. There's only, I think, 12,000 who died just of the virus. But... In this, they're always talking about, you know, somehow Trump is responsible for 200,000 Americans dying. Now, Trump deflects to China, which is not the worst thing in the world to do, because, you know, you, you and I both know the, the the case against China is pretty strong. He did a whole presentation on it. But mm-hmm. well, to me, it's open and shut. But they're always, like, trying to lay this cor- 200,000 corpses at Trump's, fe- at Trump's feet. And... Trump is, say, China, and then he says, well, but there were 2.2 million estimates and, you know, we're down way below that. Two million lives saved and all that. Um, your take, I think, I think, is something worth getting on the record. So um, let's say that you're the press secretary and I'm some dunghole from CNN or something like that. Hey, Paul. Hey, Paul. Hey, Apple. Hey, Paul. Does the, does the president feel responsible for 200,000 deaths that he caused?
1: What would you say? Well, I I think it's very important for the public to understand the genesis of this virus. This was a weapon program that started in the United States under the Obama administration. And Biden was the VP. And this thing started right after an in vitro chimera experiment with Dr. Xi. This was in your case against China. Uh, uh, a video, and uh, once she could show that there was a gain of function with the ACE2 receptor using HIV homology, that gained attention at the DOD to get funding to do the full assembly in the United States. Because it's a total economy killer. This virus,
0: like, sorry to interrupt, I, I know you've got a lot to say, I'll keep it brief, and I'm just stepping out of character here at the moment, I maybe mean, in a CNA bunghole, but um, there's the old stories about the resistance, right, the resistance in France under the Nazis, and the resistance in France under the Nazis said, no, we don't want to kill a guy, we don't want to kill a guy, because then they just bury him, what we want to do is wound him significantly so that he consumes hospital resources, so that he needs a pension, so that he ties up doctors, so that, you know, that's what we want. Just killing a guy is no good. This virus is, it targets the economy even more so than it targets people, and that's been stunningly, and I think largely unnecessarily successful in targeting the economy, but that's the weaponization. Because people think the weapon has to take you out. No, 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 no. To, to, to wreck well, an economy, the, the weapon has to target the flow of goods, the flow of capital and existing configurations of capital investment, such yeah. as, I don't know, transportation, cars, buses, offices, and so on. If you target existing economic structures, which you don't do by killing people, but rather by terrifying and disabling them, this, again, I don't want to speak obviously for the Department of Defense, God God forbid that ever be my job. But um, that to me would be, you know, putting on my, my black hat, you know, that's right what you'd want is something that terrifies people and, and disables people and uh, renders existing economic investments largely uh, counterproductive, and then you just, you're basically dynamiting the base
1: of the economy. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I agree with you. Here's the problem, though. I mean, it's, it's, there's a, there, there, from the philosophical perspective, there is su- such a thing as medical ethics. And we have had not just the military-industrial complex, but we have a scientific military military industrial complex and what is happening is these labs need funding from the NIH or just just from the Defense Department through different conduits to be able to fund their research so they can publish papers get tenure and, and get well known within their little community of scientists alright and unfortunately they don't pay attention to the main theme of Jurassic Park and that is they're so busy worrying about how to do the, the crazy chimera experiment experiments and, and making these crazy viruses in the lab, they never ask the question, should they be doing this? So there's a there is a there is the uh medical ethics point here. There is a rogue DOD uh ma- doing things that they shouldn't be doing. There, there is sh- there there's decades, there's a, a, a 60 or 70 years of experimentation that's been going on on either uh, populations that are outside the United States, or even are are in the United States, where they're doing testing on individuals they didn't even know, either radiation testing or syphilis testing or whatever. This is another aspect to this whole crisis, where you had a a a, a government or a branch of government that was out of control and no one can can check them. There no one no because it's it's hidden under this idea. It's either a black operation or it's uh, it's a uh, uh, it, it's thrown under the umbrella of national security or whatever. But I hold the stance that the DOD was out of control and they shouldn't have been doing this. They gained function on a virus that ended up destroying $5 trillion of, of U.S. GDP alone, let alone how many trillions of dollars in the world economy and countless deaths. And we don't even know, you know what the long-term ramifications are for for the, the chronic illnesses for these individuals that had the severe case of SARS-CoV-2. I mean, we're going to see lots of more emphysema. We're going to see lots of more you know, COPD cases and potentially lung transplants for these for the ones that had the glass opacity problem.
0: Oh, yeah, so, yeah. We talked about that some months ago uh, as well. Let's, um, yeah, I mean, it is really, really... But if I
1: was that press secretary, I'd basically say to, to the CNN reporter, it was the Obama administration that created the virus, that shipped it overseas for further gain of function, and it was released out of the Wuhan lab. And that I believe they released the virus on purpose to, because their economy, the CCP's economy, was, was plummeting because of the stance that Trump had where he he cut the legs out of TPP and he was asking for manufacturers and some, somewhat forcing manufacturers to come back to the United States or go to other lower cost areas around the world. And that was a permanent blow to the CCP and that they were having agricultural problems too. So it was guaranteeing that the 21st century China would not happen. And they let that virus out to weaken the world. So now it's all about differential equations before the virus was hit the this is where china was with with economics with the trump policy have a virus out and you bring down the world now you're more equalized now you have a better chance to rise up again Mm -hmm. and so they use that virus and it's not just the ccp there's a deep state ccp and that's why i keep on stating that it's a usa ccp virus and i There's a dark side uh, in the U.S. I don't even—I don't know if you want to call it the U.S. There is there is a there is a side that wants to take away the, the the constitutional freedoms that we have in the United States, and they're in line with the CCP. These people are in line with world integration and one health and giving more power to the UN, and that is the big big discussion here. It's not really the coronavirus or the Wuhan crisis, but it's this curtailment of civil liberties and, and by people capitulating and having that mask on and, you know, saying, well, just give me that, that vaccine because I just want to go back to work, that you're buying right into their system. They want to control you. They're, they're literally burning down the Constitution. And that's, that, that's why it's so important to shine a big light like you did on CCP. But there is, they are in cahoots with a deep state, or maybe I'm not using the right term, but a, a deep faction within the U.S. that doesn't like what we consider freedom.
0: Well, this is... Also something that was an interesting pivot from the World Health Organization, which I have fairly bottomless contempt for as a whole, as a <laughs> communist-run, centralized right. bureaucracy that has no accountability. Just just for, the, for those who don't know, maybe you're kind of new to the conversation, uh, and maybe Paul doesn't agree, with this, maybe he does. So basically for me, if somebody doesn't have any skin in the game, I don't care. I don't care what they have to say. So the World Health Organization, if they make a mistake, and they don't lose their houses. I don't care what they have to say. And it's not World Health Organization in particular. It's any bureaucrat. It's anybody. This is why I respect entrepreneurs, because they've got skin in the game. Mm. And so when the World Health Organization says, do this or don't do that, or you've got to keep open borders, I don't care. Because what price do they pay if they're wrong? What price do they pay? I'm not talking jail. A man can dream. But, you know, they pay no price. There's no, no cost. You know, like if, if you're not getting marked on the test, if you're just auditing the course, like I don't care what you have to say about it because you're just kind of drifting through. But a couple of days ago, the World Health Organization, you know, when, when I back in April was talking about uh, late, late March, early April, was saying, yeah, it's a real thing. You know, I think masks can be really helpful, but the cost of the lockdowns is going to vastly exceed any salvation from respite from the virus, right, so lockdowns are going to be more costly because the very poorly named elective surgeries they say, oh well they 're just canceling elective surgeries, and what what are those breast implants and facial uh, fa- facials and so no that 's not the, the elective surgeries are things that just not the e r like they 're really important things. you 've got to get tumors removed you 've got to have exploratory surgeries you 've got to have a whole hernias you 've got a whole bunch of stuff that that uh, needs to get done that was kind of being. Postponed, And I said, look, it's not going to take a brain surgeon to figure out, and this is what, six, seven months ago, that the cost of the lockdowns is going to be vastly greater. Because, you know, when you've got any training in economics, as I know Paul does, you know, he ran a, a, a market fund for a while, a long while. Uh, you, you don't look at the obvious, you look at the hidden, you look at, so you don't look and say, well, you know, the, the r naught value, the reproduction value of, of COVID has gone down. And therefore, X number of lives have been saved. It's like, okay, well, that's obvious, you make that case. But you got to look, on the other hand, right? On the other hand, lack of access to primary healthcare, lack of regular checkups, lack of preventive care, lack of, uh, you know, people going back to see if their cancers have come back and all of that, that's going to, Really uh, hit hard, and the social media companies, the big ones, of course, what they did was they said, "Well, we don't, we don't want misinformation on our platform, so we're just going to go with the World Health Organization." So two things happened. Number one, the World Health Organization said there was no science behind their commandment to keep the borders open. No science. It was all politics. It was all. Politics. They like the free flow of movement, particularly mass immigration, and they had made a mistake in the past in India that cost about three billion dollars. So, it had there was no science behind it. So, to me, you know, if if you give out advice that's costed the lives of hundreds of thousands of people, and let's not be, let's not kid ourselves. Open borders, on recommendation from the World Health Organization, without a doubt, in my mind, at least cost the lives of at least hundreds of thousands of people and more. And that's not even counting the suffering, the expenses, the seven times loss, 10 times loss of life that occurred from lack of access to primary health care. So that was number one. Uh, And did anybody pay for that? Did anybody lose their jobs? No, they get more funding. They get more funding because now you see we're in a pandemic. So you need more funding. But the other thing that they said a couple of days ago, and this is from the uh, special envoy on COVID-19. He said he urged leaders to stop, quote, using lockdowns as your primary control method. And he said, we in the World Health Organization do not advocate lockdowns as the primary means of control of this virus. The only time we believe a lockdown is justified is to buy you time to reorganize, regroup, rebalance your resources, protect your health workers who are exhausted. But by and large, we'd rather not uh, do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So he wanted to point out several negative consequences. Uh, and it devastated the tourism industries and increased hunger and, uh, and poverty. Uh, Tourist industry in the Caribbean, Pacific uh, Islands, and so on, a small hold of farmers around the world, poverty levels. It seems we may well have a doubling of world poverty by next year. We may well have at least a doubling of child nutrition. And uh, in the United States, last thing I'll say here, lockdowns have been tied to increased thoughts of suicide from children. Children. A surge in drug overdoses, an uptick in domestic violence, and a study conducted in May concluded that stress and anxiety from lockdowns could destroy seven times the years of life that lockdowns potentially save. And um, so, you know, my conscience is clear, right? I mean, I was like, yeah, this is a big thing. This is a dangerous thing. But lockdowns are a terrible way of doing it. Okay, one last thing I'll say, and I'll turn it over to you. The last thing I'll say is that it's also destroyed, which to me is not necessarily a bad thing. I wish it didn't come at a big human cost, of course. But you know this we need two weeks to flatten the curve, and now it's been like seven or eight months and still nobody has a face, right? And what's happened, I know up here in Canada, I think it's happened in the States as well, is everybody said, okay, we'll stop using the hospital so that you all can get ready for an influx of COVID patients, right? And now here in Canada, the influx of COVID patients is coming in, the, the numbers are getting higher and higher. And you know what the hospitals are saying? Well, we're not ready, <laughs> we're not ready. So what the hell was the entire point? Of people not using healthcare facilities for the last six months, so they could get everything ready, and there's not going to be anything left in the chamber. Like when the fourth wave hits or the fifth wave hits, and people say, "Oh, we gotta, we gotta shut down to flatten the curve," people will be just like, "That's bullshit. You, you, you fooled us. You know, fooled us three times, but, but not fourth. And that means that this, this option is really not going to be available. People are gonna to have to find something else. So they've really, I think, burned their goodwill with the populations as a whole, because this whole, hold off, don't get your cancer checkup, we got to take time to get ready. People didn't get their cancer checkup, maybe they got sick, and then they're not ready anyway.
1: Well, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, there's, you know, know, (laughs) know, there is, you know, first of all, we know that the UN has been looking for decades, through the Tobin tax, to be able to try to find a funding mechanism for taxation. That's why they're promoting the whole idea of global warming or in medical school they're stating that the reason why this happened is is that it's human encroachment on nature, and that it was a zoonotic thing
0: no the Which I don't theory, believe right? obviously right.
1: I don't believe you know, I don't believe that for a second because you know we, we went in detail why but but the thing is is that by doing that, you can follow the logic and say. Well, we are going to now put caps. We're going to put carbon caps. And if you break the carbon cap, then you're going to be taxed or there's going to be some sort of taxation. And even even if it's at 0.001 of a cent for everybody, there's a substantial amount of funds that could flow to be the funding mechanism for issuance of bonds for the UN. All right? So that's the big new world thing. What's the funding mechanism? They don't have one other than some countries paying, you know, dues. Now they want taxation without equal representation, all right? And if you promote this agenda of one health and say that this huge virus was, you know, because of nature, you know, being mad at mankind, then we're going to tax you to, so we'll calm nature, mother nature down, but they'll use that as a funding mechanism for the bond market. So that's an important piece to pay attention to because the people that are making these decisions are moving us in that direction of some sort of taxation without equal representation. So they have that funding mechanism. All right. Now with that said, um, um, the, uh, the, the pandemic, should we stay sheltered in place or should we start taking risks? I think on our last show, I'm to the point now that I would prefer to start living free and and taking risks. And it's now, you know what? We listened to you guys. We've been in shelter in place for so long. It didn't work. You know what? Take the damn mask off and start living your life and we're going to hit it like D-Day. All right. And well, then, sorry, I know this talk, sounds they crazy. Keep talking about this COVID I, fatigue.
0: Like, you know, like but, we just, you know, just kind of ran out of steam, just kind of got bored. It's like, no, if, if you, <laughs> you strangle me for long enough, eventually I'm going to fight back. It's like, you have strangulation fatigue. You know, that that's a problem.
1: <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, so the thing here, we as a populace needs to just say enough is enough. And we are going back to the good old days. We're taking the damn mask off. People are going to get sick at hospitals, doctors, nurses. They need everything in the toolbox. So these, the, the, the CDC and the FDA, they need to put hydroxychloroquine and everything on the shelf so they can use it.
0: But it's we the new need, for the ride.
1: You know, you know, but we need to punch through this, this wall. We have to create a beachhead because shelter in place for how long? The damn thing didn't work. You know, so what are we gonna shelter in place for five years? Well there'll you be know, no I,
0: there'll be no uh, no
1: economy left. Right. That, well that that's well that now it goes back to the now it goes back to the, the, the whole New World Order kind of mechanism. They want taxation without equal representation and have a one world government and weaken who's the big player in the room that's preventing it from happening. It's the economic a, a prowess of North America. If you bring that down, you you weaken, and everyone starts thinking. You know what? I want universal income. I want socialism. I need nanny state. I need da 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 da. And then all of a sudden, they have exactly what you uh, what they're looking for. Now, here, are people that are saying, "Oh, pay attention to the CDC or the NIH." I think I think um, Kennedy. Um, said it at best when he was debating um, Dershowitz. You're assuming that they're not captured agencies. These people that are running these agencies are captured. They know that if they tow a certain line, when they retire from that position, that they have a board position at some big pharma and they're going to be making millions of dollars. And they don't want to rock the boat and prevent that. I don't want to hurt their, their golden parachute. The people that are running these agencies don't have your best interest in mind. They have their own best interest in mind. They are captured. And we see this also in Congress. We put people in, 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 a, in a, a position of power in the in, in the legislative branch. And I find it odd that they go in as you know, a thousand heirs. They come out as millionaires. How does that work? You know, you know? Oh, that, I remember that as a kid.
0: Like, you look at this congressman's salary was like I don't know, hundred and fifty, hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Net worth, fifteen million dollars. I'm like, right, right. wow, that guy's really good at pinching his pennies, man. Yeah, <laughs> He's, yeah. He really had to have invested in. No, he can't even invest in that much, right? It's supposed to be a blind trust and all that kind of stuff. And oh yeah, no, the the ratio of well, it's the Biden story, right? The ratio between income and net worth is. Uh, well, it's tumoresque, so to speak.
1: Uh-huh. So, with the, with with such great deals out there, as long as they tow a certain line, of course, they're not going to pay attention to the masses and what we need. They're going to say, "Well, what's what's in it for them?" You know. So, I I I think. This is why I keep on. and We created a foundation on Facebook until they pull it down. But it was—it's called uh, um, Freedom uh, Restoration Foundation. So we pu- we try to publish articles, uh, of, you know, about constitutional rights and and uh, paying attention to the Bi- the the Biopatriot Act elements that are moving through, through Congress, um, and also a, a newsfeed of, of certain publications that capture what's happening in the in the news about vaccines or the loss of civil liberties or whatever or even geopolitical problems because there's a geopolitical component to this as we were talking about with this with the ccp but um it, it's it's inter- it it's important to have people engaged in saying you know what enough is enough and it's time to move forward and stop paying attention to quote the experts right because the experts have made us sicker. We're sicker. We're sicker people. We're fatter. We're lazier. We're, you know, we, like you said, there's the, there's the, the uh, psychological component. Uh, you know, there's, there's more uh, domestic violence going on. There's more suicide attempts going on. You know, I'll, I'll well, tell then, you and that everybody's
0: there's... sorry, the, the, the dating life is on hold. Getting married is on hold. Having right. kids is on hold. And I, I think around the world, see, I mean, when Trump came, came in, I know it was a lot of it was bubble. A lot of it was Fed driven. A lot of it was funny money. A lot of it was debt. But there were some genuine cuts in taxation. There were some genuine cuts in regulations which is the great hidden spiderweb chokey mechanism by which economies often expire and then of course the market gets blamed for it. So you got to remember this there's all around the world there are these leaders right and these leaders generally suck and they're dictatorial and they're uh, they're narcissistic and they're megalomaniacal and they're highly nepotistic you know the sort of traditional banana republic where everybody's third cousin gets ends, uh, ends up mm-hmm. as a millionaire or the bidens and the problem is, of course, when people look across at a place like America and they say, wow, that economy is really doing well. And, and finally, people are starting to get raises after four decades and manufacturing is coming back and the economy is doing well. Why? Because the government is withdrawing itself from the economy, allowing the free market to operate. So that is a and now with social media and all of that, like it makes a big deal. It's a big difference. You can get live footage of what's going on in America all over the world and people get kind of restless and they say, wow, you know, that. A, that goes against everything I've ever been taught. And and B, I, I'd like me some of that, right? Like what took down the Soviet okay. empire? Well, the inefficiencies of a an economy that has no price signals and hamburgers and blue jeans, right? That people could see in America <laughs> yeah. that they couldn't get over under Soviet Russia. Okay. So there's this whole problem with all these countries that the, the population is, well, I'd like lower taxes. I'd like less regulation. I'd like for more jobs to be created. And that's a huge problem because the oligarchs uh, in most of these countries, they didn't get into power in order to free the people. They got into power to control the people and feed their wallets. And, you know, if you can nuke the uh, U.S. economy, Uh, That takes a lot of pressure off the sort of banana republic dictators on on what needs to be provided, because then they can say, aha, you look, you see, they've got a high case rate and they blah, 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 and and their economy is destroyed. And isn't it better here? And then it's the people like, oh, yeah, I guess that was kind of a mirage. You know, it's bad and all that. But yeah, it takes a lot of pressure off uh, the
1: lack of freedoms uh, in, in a lot of countries around the world. To prove your point, that was exactly the argument right after Lehman so right before lehman was uh you know great you know uh economy open market you know uh, civil you know civil rights you know uh, civil liberties and everything and then we had lehman and then the world kept on saying oh see crazy traders in yeah, a free, free market, market society work, it just sucks and and then you know what's interesting is it's right after that obama gets in you know and he's and he represents he's a poster child of socialism yeah. Let's just face it. He is, His uh, major yeah, mentor he, was a straight up yeah, Marxist. Yeah. Yeah. So I just go even further. I mean, he was a poster child for communism, you know, but, but, you know, but the thing, but the thing is, is that there was right at the, that Lehman point in time where everyone was saying capitalism, bad, socialism, good. Well, you're right. You know, in, in, in this situation, make it so bad bring down that this is this this falls in line with what i was saying about the ccp was knocked down with the trump administration while the u.s economy was growing not only was the ccp knocked down the u.s was growing and that gap increased well and that's a huge threat to all of
0: the central planners out there a massive threat that deregulation and lower taxes was growing an economy
1: and that had to be stopped had to be stopped you got it. You got it. And that's why I, I have the the hypothesis that that was the reason why it was released. That virus was released on purpose to weaken the free world, right. AKA the United States. And, and, you know, and, and to bring back that, bring back that, that differential where there's more normalized with the CCP and give them a fighting chance to really have that 21st century, china that they 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 want to promote well because that's going to be the vehicle yeah to get get hong kong to get
0: taiwan to get the other geopolitical aims that they have to start threatening uh, japan or all of the stuff that they want to do to expand
1: yeah because think about what's going to happen there all right if the united states is weakened financially then we have a harder time to be able to finance a war and so our hegemonic power in the pacific is going to wane this is exactly what happened to the british empire they financially were strapped, and they weren't able to 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 project their their empire power, and they had to retreat. And they want to weaken the United States, so we are retreating, so the Chinese can move forward. This is why I keep on saying this is this is a battle between the United States and the CCP, and it's it, Mike. I I think I've told you this, maybe I haven't, but Mike, my grandfather was a CB in the Navy during World War II. So he was an island hopper, and then they they paved the the, the strips, and they used those uh, bombing strips to get to Japan to do the bombing runs because we didn't have, you know, uh, planes that had a, a, a large enough tanks for fuel to get to Japan from, from mainland United States. So we had an island hop. That was the whole point. So because of that... Because of because of that hard fight in, during World War II, those soldiers, just like my my grandfather, that allowed us to have the hegemonic power that we've had since World War II in the Pacific, and had somewhat of a stable world. All right, now there's a debate, you know, about proxy wars, you know, in in Korea and Vietnam and you know and all that all that stuff, but. But we we have a somewhat stable world relative to the carnage of World War II, so if we lose that hegemonic power, we don't know what's going to happen. There's a high probability of we, we can higher. You know, we well, we can yeah, do. There's a high pro- yeah, there's a high probability. There's going to be a lot of carnage, you know. So I, I, that's why I keep on saying that we cannot let the CCP win. This is where this is where you and I are like in hundred percent lockstep agreement. There is, the the, the, the CCP, it, if they are allowed to be successful, will be the blueprint for tyranny in the world for the next 150 years, maybe well, longer.
0: Yeah, and it is, so to me, it, it is kind of an, uh, one of these ghastly, horrible ironies of history, Paul, that the generation that swallowed the lie that McCarthyism was just some made-up thing and the communists don't have infiltration, well, that is the generation that is actually suffering the most from the Chinese virus, right? The, 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 the people who said, oh, you know, there's not really any real danger from <laughs> right. from communism. It's like, oh, okay, well, well here's the virus that's going to hit you the hardest. And, you know... Oh. It's one of the—if you put it in a novel, it would be like, oh, come on, you know, this is, a, this is too Old Testament, you know, the, the curse of, of ignorance and the wages of sin and, and inattention and so on are really hitting hard because I don't know if people know this. I mean, I don't know if you have, like, older relatives or, or older people you know who are in elder care homes, but I'm going to just throw a little bit of data at you, and then we'll, we'll talk about the vaccine and what's going on with Johnson okay. & Johnson, but so— this is just from, uh, oh, from today, actually, just came out uh, at 5 o'clock, right? So, uh, the larger the coronavirus outbreak in an in area, sorry, the larger the coronavirus outbreak in an area, the more deaths elder care facilities there can expect to see, which, have, you know, across 26 countries, elder care home residents have accounted for an average of 47% of recorded coronavirus deaths, right? This is uh, pretty, pretty, good, pretty good data. In some nations including the United States, the data suggests that roughly one in 20 elder care residents have already died of COVID-19. Died. One, it's 5%, right? 5%, right? And uh, it's really astonishing. And and um, in in Canada, it's really it's just some of the worst numbers in Canada. Although, of course, New York was terrible as well. You know, my whole life, I've been saying, oh, the government shouldn't do this. The government shouldn't do that. And then people always say, they always say the same thing. Oh, I don't think the government should build the roads. I don't think government should run public education. Oh, yeah? Well, if, if who will build the roads? Who will educate the kids, right? And I've been patiently, well, sometimes patiently, <laughs> answering those questions for like, I don't know, 40 years or whatever, right? <laughs> but, you know, another question you can ask is, okay, but without the government how our satanic half-HIV, SARS-CoV-2 bat coronavirus is going to get into the general population. There's no profit in that. You can't get that kind of cool stuff without governments. And without governments, who the hell is going to order old-age homes to take in coronavirus patients? How They're not going to do that of their own accord because it's really dangerous to old people. Without the government... Who's going to say, oh, we've got to keep the borders open during a pandemic because otherwise it's racist? Anyway, just wanted to point that out. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, well, wh- what about all these good things? What about the bad things? They're not going to happen either uh, with this kind of stuff. But, yeah, it really has torn through the elderly uh, in brutal ways. And some of this is political. I think a lot of it, certainly New York, is political. But, yeah, some of it is just, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's really harsh on the elderly, which is uh, kind of different from, like, 100 years ago when it was harsh on the young.
1: Well, Unfortunately, most of that generation in my family passed away. Hmm. So, you know, I, you know, and they passed away in the eighties. Most, most of them passed away in the eighties, um, late eighties. Uh, so, but my experience in Japan, I lived in Japan for a little while, about a year and a half when I was working for a Nissan as an automotive engineer and what i what i learned from the japanese culture was is that they respected their elderly and we don't have that in the united states
0: <laughs> wait sorry we don't have a theory of respect for the elderly or we don't have elderly that we can respect i'm, I'm sort of well, trying to well, figure well, out how to okay. slice well, no, and dice no, 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 this no, no, sentence no, no. here
1: i meant i meant well, both okay no, okay no no no, 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 no. but my, i really meant that we don't have a theory of respect for the elderly you know and this is a shame because the, the, we one, that generation did do a lot to provide the freedoms that we have today, all right? I'm talking about the greatest generation here. Um, most of them are 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 passing away, especially the ones that fought in World War II. Um, now, my father, he's in his 70s, but, you know, he was that Vietnam era, you know, and they're starting to, you know, you know, pass away now. So we, we need, we, you know, we need to, we need to have that respect of, you know, that, of the sacrifices of the previous generation. Unfortunately, we, we have this, this uh, hyper individualism where, well, we have a throwaway society. All right. So if our, the way we treat our ptosis is like how we treat the elderly you know okay we got an old toaster uh, you know what i'm going to go i'm going to go online and i'll you know get a new one in 5 days you know people people are viewing the elderly in as like throwaway commodities and they're not there's i was walking i was walking outside today just you know talking on the wait, phone wait you were doing what yeah, I was walking outside. Without I'm sorry,
0: a mask. Uh, the internet somehow translated that into you were walking outside today. I thought you said you were studying. Get back to studying. No, no, no outside no, no,
1: for no. you. <laughs> no, but I was. I, I had to take a break. Yeah, of course. But there was this. There was this elderly elderly couple just sitting on the bench, looking at the East River, almost like something right out of a movie. You know, and you know they they as I was walking by, they struck up a conversation because you could tell that they wanted to communicate with people. They they, they this. This crisis has created this division of connection with community you know and we we need to get reconnected and hopefully this crisis we learn something from it and that is to take care of the elderly to have respect for the elderly how many people actually that are younger actually hold the door for an elderly person when they walk to walk through I I, Look, I'm, I'm
0: like, I I hear you. I'm I'm sorry. Like I I hear you. I really do. But I I gotta be I gotta be honourable to my baby dreamer, <laughs> baby boomer, selfish generation kind of thing. It's it's a little. So with the schools suck, immigration is out of control. Demographics are going haywire, and uh, uh, American children are now born into a million dollars of debt that they never asked for. At a minimum, right? Unfunded liabilities plus debt is brutal, and ah. And any time they complain, uh, they're just kind of shouted down at the ballot box told to, to <laughs> deal with it, right? And there's this meme, you've probably heard of it, it's called Old Economy Steve. You know, like Old Economy Steve got fired from his job, walked across the street and got another job. Old Economy Steve, who paid $700 a month, uh, sorry, $700 a term for tuition is now complaining that young kids don't appreciate a quality a college education that they're paying like $20,000 or more a year for. And, you know, I, I, you know the young people look at the world around them and they, they say, okay, is it better? Uh, am I more free? Uh, is the economy more stable? Is there less debt? Is there is? Are we better off? Is is the culture enriched? Is no? It's all propaganda and debt and and you know this flaming wreckage of free speech that passes for commitment to the First Amendment these days and and again you, and there are lots of honorable people. It sounds like your family was one of them. Uh, lots of honorable people who fought really hard against that. Those people should be respected and listened to and so on. But as a whole, you know what they they call. Um, I mean, this has been for since I was a kid, right? Social security, right? The third rail of American politics. You touch it, you die. And it's like, so talking about any clawbacks, because the boomers, you know, they took all these pensions, or they're taking all these pensions. They didn't pay tax for those pensions. There's no money in the, you know, it's just a bunch of dusty IOUs and treasury bonds, right? There's no money for the pensions. The pensions are being siphoned directly off the backs of the young. The richest generation in history is vampire-like, reaching down two or three generations to Hoover, money off the backs of the young i gotta tell you i mean I, i'd love to live in a society where i could look at the elderly and say wow you guys delivered a better world to us than you inherited but i don't really think i can well, i think a lot of people think, feel that way
1: i i see your point and it's important to parse it out the greatest generation versus the baby boomers the greatest generation is sacrificed a lot more and you know or you know can had that can do spirit all right but baby, baby boomers. boomers. Okay, but, I'll, but, but, I'll be quiet. But Sorry. Go ahead. But, but 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 the the baby boomers, what they were, a lot of them were draft dodgers, at least in the United States, uh, and, and they were very self oriented. And the whole that that whole um, sexual uh, um, that, that sexual revolution, and and uh, and and almost a drug induced coma that that the United States was in, you know, from the sixties, you know, all the way through the eighties um you know there's a lot to be said about the baby boomers causing social problems in the united states all right i'm assuming that similar sociological dynamics are in canada all right but i'm I'm a little centric to the united states you know from my observation so my quote respect level would be much higher for my grandfather Mm. than let's say my father's generation all right but what does it say you know what, what is the what, what is the the um the torah say that you know the torah says you know you have to honor your father and mother it doesn't mean you have to agree it doesn't mean that you can't call them off on things that they did wrong you just have to honor them and that was the point i was making is that by holding the door by um you know by doing community service that for, for people that are in need, that are elderly. Because a lot of them, you know, they're cutting their pills in half because they don't have enough food to eat, you know. But some of them, it was, it was due to improper planning. So let's call it a spade a spade. But that doesn't mean that we don't try to help. But I think that there was a selfishness, and there's some books that have been coming out about this, um, about the selfishness of the baby boom generation, and that how it is it has created um, this kind of like um, negative negative blowback from Gen X and and the millennials saying, "Okay, Boomer, you know that's the big you know meme now." N- okay, never boomer. seen it. You know, you See, know. I'm off by one year.
0: One year, <laughs> I managed to escape. I'm like Indiana Jones going back to get that hat with the door. Come one year, one year, I'm gonna be like anyway. Nobody, nobody cares nobody cares but, but,
1: <laughs> but you know but, the, but the, basically you know there was this okay boomer mentality that you know if you if um if someone that's elderly let's say my 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 parents generation um you know is telling someone let's say it's gen x you know they would say you you, you know you really basically caused a problem you know boomer generation because of the self-centeredness and this free love and this this you know um you know um if, but it doesn't mean that their whole generation was all net all bad it's not all bad but we still have to honor our father and our mother yeah our father or mother that is by that by previous uh, previ- previous uh, yeah I'll,
0: I'll honor them by telling them the truth <laughs> well that's, no, the, that's no, the biggest no, honor i can give to anyone is just no, no, to tell no, the, no, the truth no, no. That,
1: that, that's true i mean we have to we we can't We can't brush it under the rug that their generation has caused many problems. The debt that we have is primarily because of them. Yeah. Primarily because of them. That's a fact, you know. And, you know, uh, they are such a large voting block that that's the reason why it's a third rail. Well, and and they're a voting block that
0: won't take any sacrifices. Like they won't, like you can't go to the boomers and you can't, or the retirees, you can't go to them and say, look, you guys, um, you voted giant pensions for yourself, but you didn't want to pay for them. Like, I'm sorry, but that's it's not fair for the children, for the young people who weren't born, who didn't make it. It's, it's not fair to take from them, right? And, and you know, your grandfather, you know, he was asked or demanded or drafted to serve, and he went and he served, and he faced down death and so on. it's like, well, you guys can't take a 25% cut in your pensions. You know, these guys faced withering bullets coming out of J- Japanese and, and German soldiers yeah. for years and, and had to stroll across landmines and do the Bataan Death March and show up in fairly inaccurate John Grisham novels 40 years later. I mean, and yet you go to the boomers and say, you know, you guys— Wanted all this spending, you didn't want to pay for it. It's not fair. It's not right to pass the bill to your kids. Like an honorable well, generation would say, "Yeah, we gotta, we've gotta take cuts. We we can't have all this free stuff." Like yeah, you know, think of all of the people who take. I'm not talking about the the, the grandmother who's living on 800 bucks a month. I'm talking about the. You know, the, the bureaucrats uh, from CalPERS in California, who is getting $125,000 a year because he worked as a school administrator for a quarter century. You know, he gets that for like another 40 years or whatever. Those guys, like at some point, you got to say to people, look, this is this is unfair to the young. The taxes weren't there to pay for it. Anyway, we're kind of getting off COVID, but I just, uh, there, there's it's no one who's thing. willing to make a call for sacrifice because there's this petulant toddlerhood among a lot of the boomers, which is like, well, what do you mean my actions have consequences? What do you mean uh, wanting more than I ever paid in taxes uh, is going to actually have consequences? No, no, no. Other people. I should smoke. You should get cancer. That's the way it should work, right? And that's, that's tough for people.
1: It, it, it's directly related to how to handle this crisis for COVID-19, and I'll tell you how.
0: Oh, man. Good grapple related. Thank d- you. D-
1: d- directly related, all right? My grandfather, he, he, he enlisted right after Pearl Harbor. So there was a big slew. Obviously, once Pearl Harbor happened, there were many people that enlisted. I had about six relatives on my on my um, on, on my mother's side that that were in the United States um, before before the Holocaust. So a part of her family was in the United States before, and a part of it came um, after. But um, so the ones that were in the United States the the, the ones that were in the United States in my, on my, fam, my family side, about six of them enlisted right after Pearl Harbor, all right? Two of them were in the Navy, and the majority uh, uh, served in the Army in the, in the European theater. One of them was in the Air Force for, as, a, as a, um, a bomber, a bombardier. Now, all of them enlisted, all right? They, they viewed it as a, a duty to country, duty and honor to country. This is their generation. All right. And, um, now fast forward to my father's generation. All right. He's the Vietnam era. Now he enlisted, he served honorably in the army. And, but the far majority draft dodged, burned their draft card, you know, hated the government, you know, decided to go to Woodstock. That's their generation. and then it led to no sacrifice in any decade of their life, in any decade of their life. no sacrifice. Now all of a sudden you get to the Gen Xers. The Gen Xers, what did we see? Gulf War One, that's the you know that's Desert Storm and Desert Shield. all right. we saw 9/11. And he had to serve in, in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. The Gen Xers have served a lot and have done a lot for, 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 for this for the United States, a lot more than the baby boomers did. And there's an anger within the Gen Xers. Now it's like we did do, you know duty and honor, just like our grandparents did, all right? The far majority of the baby boomers did not. And that's where the problem comes in. Now fast forward to COVID-19. We need to take a lesson from the greatest generation. And that is what did, what was the sacrifice? We have to pierce through, get out of shelter in place, take off the damn mask and move on with our lives and hit it like D-Day. There will be people that lose their life. But there, if we do this with compassion, we will be able to save this country. And what is more important is saving the constitution than worrying about one's individual life. And that is the big lesson learned from the greatest generation. And we need to start looking in the mirror and saying, you know what, we have been living too high on the hog. And you know what, it's time to pay the piper and get a little bit of balls and move forward and stop living living in this this realm of i need nanny state and to be protected and and coddled
0: well there is there is no there's no pain-free solution forward and and nothing kills initiative more than imagining there's a pain-free solution forward right and Right now, we can say, oh, well, you know, if we just open up again, then yes, some old people are going to die. Yes, without a doubt. Okay, so what happens if we don't? Well, if we don't, there isn't going to be any money to pay doctors. And if we don't, there isn't going to be any money for medication. And a whole lot more old people are going to die through that. Because right now we have this fantasy, yeah. like like somehow people say, well, these 210,000 Americans who've died... Well, the number should have been zero. It's like in what completely screwed up universe do you think you can get a virus that's disdangerous to, the old, to old people and have no deaths? And again, Trump, you know, January, he's closing borders. January, he's setting up a task force. This is, this is back when the Democrats were still calling him racist and, and Nancy Pelosi was inviting everyone to come down to Chinatown and enjoy the food. God's sakes. So there's this, and this to me is the boomer thing. It's like the starting position should be zero deaths. And then anything that happens in deviation to that is absolutely terrible. And it's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm 54 now, right? So I'm getting a little creakier and, and all of that. So my starting position is I should be exactly the same as when I was 18 years old. Okay, if I was looked like this when I was 18, people would rush me to ER, right? <laughs> what happened to him? He's a vampire. hit the sunlight. But the, the, the starting position should not be perfection, and then everything, that's the boomer mentality. The starting, hey, I want i want to help the poor. Yeah, we can wage wars overseas. Yeah, I want giant pensions. Yeah, the, the Everything you want. And anything that is a pullback from everything that you want is somehow an insult to your dignity as, as a human being. That to me is completely insane. It'd be like me saying, well, yes, I do want to do a great show with Dr. Paul Cottrell while at the same time learning how to be a ballet dancer. You know, like... <laughs> You got to pick one. Like this idea that there's limit. This is economic thinking, right? Everything you do is opportunity costs and and all of that. And this, to me, is the frustrating thing. And this, you can see this coming out of the media in waves and waves and waves and waves. It's just like there are two hundred and fourteen thousand deaths. Yeah, because China opened up its borders to international travel. Because the World Health Organization said everyone keep your your borders open. And because uh, everybody screamed that there was racism involved and and because the universities are so greedy for foreign students, uh, because foreign students up in Canada pay like five times what domestic students pay for university, uh, that they're hugely happy to have international students come in. Um, despite the fact that there's a pandemic going on. And so they scream bloody murder and the media amplifies it and the government fears it and then you're anti-intellectual. If you're... So because there's and it's all these power centers, you've got this Thousand Talents program that's helicoptering masses of bales of cash. I mean, people are like, oh my God, it's so terrible that Obama sent bales of cash to Iran. Yes, it was. And... <laughs> What about China sending massive amounts of cash to everybody and their dog in American academia and, and media? And it's up here in Canada, too. And it's like, that seems kind of important. So there's this weird belief that, that, that the standard is perfection and, and zero deaths. And it's like, well, then it's not a pandemic. They don't understand. It's not a pandemic. and And... So and Or or like another standard of perfection is, well, you can't ever have controlled fires in forests because that's just burning things pointlessly. It's like, okay, well, you can have this perfection that there should never be a fire in a forest. Then what do you have? Well, you have the entire left coast of America on fire, which mysteriously stops at the border, even though the climate doesn't. Anyway, so yeah. this bothers me, the standard of perfection. So let's go to um, where we do have some imperfection coming out in these... Vaccines been closed on this one. So, antibody trial at Eli Lilly is paused because of potential safety concerns. Right? The New York Times reported uh, Tuesday that, and I quote: "Government sponsored a, a government sponsored clinical trial testing an antibody treatment made by the drug company Eli Lilly has been paused because of a potential safety concern." So, the trial was designed to test the benefits of the therapy on hundreds of people hospitalized with COVID nineteen. It did not say how many volunteers were sick or any details about their illnesses so that's not too unusual because here's another standard and this is why i'm magically with like a flaming gay lariat tying it into the previous topic but the standard of perfection is hey man don't sweat it because we're going to get a vaccine man and when we get a vaccine it's going to be perfect and it's going to be great. And, and, and people think that the imperfection is only, well, you might still get COVID occasionally, you know, like a condom is effective uh, whatever percentage at the time, right? Or in my case, a Zeppelin. But um, so people are going to have this standard, like, well, you know, maybe it's only 95% effective. But no, 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 that's not what vaccines are. I mean, that certainly is the case with vaccines. But maybe talk to people a little bit about what is going to happen With the law of large numbers and these vaccine rollouts, because I mean, everybody's just got to get ready for this stuff. Because, again, you have the standard of perfection and anything that falls short of it is is just a horror on wheels. No, no, that's these things. It's going to be nasty. It's going to be nasty just based upon the number of people who are going to get it.
1: There we know that there's going to be adverse side effects to this vaccine no matter who, what type of vaccine it is, either the Moderna one or the Oxford or Eli Lilly or Johnson and Johnson, but there is a theme here. And that is as they increase the numbers in the clinical trials for clinical trials, three or two, depending on which one we're talking about here, um, they are starting to see signs of unexplained illnesses. Okay. And that's showing up when they increase the number For the sample size all right so we are starting to see a shadow of the black swan and the black swan is the negative side effects the vaccine injury or some sort of cytokine storm that makes this infection worse there is research out there that shows that the vaccines could actually enhance a secondary infection
0: uh, wait, wait, wait. Also, secondary infection okay so just break that out because i think i get it but i want to be okay ch- so
1: you get all right so you get a vaccine all right you get a vaccine and supposedly uh, you know the vaccine is really giving you the infection yeah, yeah. but it's not you know, it's not multiplying right so you it's an inert get,
0: s- structure right can't reproduce but your your immune right. system it gets muscular and targeting it right
1: right so now you have an antibody okay now you get sars-cov-2 and it now creates a cytokine storm, it creates a a, 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 uh, a, reaction, an immune response so violent that it actually kills you or makes the situation worse than actually just getting SARS-CoV-2.
0: So yeah, if you want, I mean, I, this is a very amateur way of looking at it, but the cytokine storm is when you're... Um... Immune system can't quite figure out where the virus is and just starts attacking everything. So the way I picture it, probably incorrectly, is something like this. You're standing by a cliff and a whole bunch of bees swarm you. The bees aren't gonna kill you, but when you, you try and beat them off and, and run away from them, you fall off the cliff. Off the cliff. It's kind of basically, like that.
1: Basically, you know, there's things called uh, uh, cytokines, all right? There, you need certain cytokines for certain phases of, of the immune response. Well, they're in such high production levels that it's detrimental to the body. So you fall off the cliff, all right? And you go into sepsis, all right? And This is part of the, you know the, the issue of you need to treat this early with corticosteroids and protease inhibitors. But, but um, you know, back to the point here, is, is that uh, the power of numbers. so we are seeing with the clinical trials that there's a black swan there, okay? so now if you force a program on a population in the united states of 330 million and you only have one percent that has some level of vaccine injury you have 3.3 million people that are on some spectrum of injury that's a lot now a lot more than
0: 214,000 dead
1: right so we're gonna actually the reality of the situation is this a forced vaccine program is going to hurt more people than SARS-CoV-2 ever did. That's and that's assuming
0: fact. 1%, which is yeah. 1% is um, on a pretty thoroughly tested and vetted. This thing is, is in and out in less than a year, 10 years normally, and 94% of vaccines fail. So this is a real dice
1: roll. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's going to be more people harmed by a forced fa- vaccine program, um, especially when you add in year after year after year you know because just, it's not just one administration this is going to be administered you know to either annually there's a debate on this either annually or generationally you know like tb or you know yeah yeah so this the vaccine injury will grow over time and that injury may not manifest itself in the first five years the injury may manifest itself in the 10th year
0: and for those listen we're just two guys on the internet i mean paul obviously has more expertise in that listen no but be skeptical right be skeptical so you know assume that everything we're saying um we you know just hand puppets of space aliens here to confuse human beings for for our for our fun right so all you need to do to to start to dig into this is you can go to your favorite search engine not Google, you can go to your favorite search engine. You can DuckDuckGo or, or Epic that's Search what or whatever, use, right? That's yeah. yeah, so go to your favorite search engine and look up vaccine lawsuit immunity. Is, is that a fair place to start, uh, Paul? Exactly. Because th- that's what people don't understand. See, yeah. if, if I put out a product that harms people, I'm going to lose my house, right? Because, you know, philosophy, on the other hand, just feels like it's harming you, but actually it's helping you. It's kind of like surgery um, without anesthetic. Uh, while people are laughing at you and you're being rolled out of the hospital. The hospital being social media. I'm probably extending this metaphor too much. But anyway, uh, analogy. So the important thing is that go look this up. If I put out something, I'll lose my house. They are specifically setting up legal structures all over the place, setting up legal structures so that if you get harmed by a vaccine, maybe you can get a couple of hundred K max max and that's you know even that's pretty the vaccine funds that are set up and there's special immunities being set up like the section 230 immunities for social media but even worse right the immunities that are being set up saying you can't sue these people well oh come on isn't that a i mean don't listen to us just listen to these basic warnings coming out of the legal system because these are like hey man we're not putting
1: this vaccine out there if we, we're going to be responsible for what happens are you crazy the reality of the situation is in 1986, under the Reagan administration, Congress passed a law where it, it absolved any liability of the medical industry. That meant the hospitals, the doctor that administered the vaccine, or the, the pharmaceutical company that made it. And they created a super fund for anyone that was vaccine injured to be able to get, you know, basically pennies relative to the actual harm that they caused. So I think the average is around 80000 that 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 uh, they they can get from the Superfund. Dr. Wakefield, I don't know if you've interviewed him, but Dr. Wakefield, he was the one that sounded the alarm about the MMR vaccine, and they destroyed his career. And there, there's a there's a similar theme that anyone that goes against the vaccine, um, the vaccine agenda, or the vaccine orthodoxy, we could say orthodoxy, maybe, yeah. right? Um, their career is destroyed. Now, he was a a expert at gastrointestinal uh, diseases, and he was able to to create a a show a link for children that had the MMR uh, three and three and one facts causing um, uh, spectral disorders, autisms and, and, and gastrointestinal issues. The CDC went after him like like nothing and it like, you know, and destroyed his career. They tried to destroy it. And he just released a new documentary called 1986 or 1986 Act. Um, he's been he's been, you know, doing the, the circuit. Uh, Mike Adams interviewed him. Uh, there's there's a pretty good interview by by Mike Adams on on Brighton that you should you should watch if, if I'll, I'll try to get the link for you. And, um, you know, Wakefield would be a great person to interview because he goes into detail on that act and how it changed the industry and just swept all the liability under the rug. And now the the big pharma can do whatever they want. And people need to get educated that this happened in 1986. We're not we're not just saying maybe Congress would do this. (laughs) Congress did it in 1986. And now there's some talk, you know, in the news that additional um, protections will have to be put in place for this vaccine. Sure. So there, there's talk of maybe, moder- you know, doing a modernization of the 1986 act. And those modernizations, they aren't in our favor. <laughs> that's, that's in the favor of the big pharma. So it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better.
0: Well, it's something that Harry Brown used to say that um, there will be people who will influence the government very, very strongly, but it's never going to be you and it's never going to be me. And uh, so if you want all those people to have that power, you know, because you think, oh, this is government's going to do all this great stuff and it's going to listen to me as a voter. Nope. <laughs> they'll just take all this power. And they'll just to listen to the person with the deepest pockets or the most Biden-based blackmail material. Anyway, sorry, you mm-hmm. were
1: going to say? And, yeah, and going back to the idea of being captured – these agencies being captured. The CDC and the FDA are are the ones that give the stamp of approval for the vaccines. Well, these individuals, when they retire, that revolving door goes right to big pharma. You know, so they, they are, one, suppressing people like Wakefield, trying to sound the alarm and showing scientific data that this stuff is harming children and, you know, pushing that that uh that legislation to protect big pharma from any any tort
0: and i i like the theory of vaccines i mean i i'm very happy that you know my gorgeous visage is not ravaged by a moon crater deposit of smallpox like that to me is a good thing it just seems like there's quite a lot, and they're quite clustered together. And I, I, just, you know, I think the only thing more more dangerous than questioning the vaccine orthodoxy is is questioning whether we need fourteen pounds of carbs a day to stay healthy. That's a whole other topic, perhaps for another time. But uh, you know, invert that food pyramid, and you end up like right. that South African doctor, almost hounded out of the profession. I don't know why they want to keep us stupid with carbs or something. But um, yeah, it is. It is really okay. One, one last question, because I want to make sure I get something in here from the listeners. So. Uh, people have been a couple of people have been commenting and saying that the PCR test, uh, they they have doubts about its accuracy, that sometimes they need to uh, people need to get like 40 times the, the the have to run it 40 times to find the um, the markers and so on. How accurate in your thoughts is, I guess, the latest and greatest in, in COVID detection?
1: OK, so the epidemiologists are stating all right, this is what they're stating in medical school. Right. I know this for a fact because of. If- my particular track of education, right? They're stating that it's about 85% accurate, all right? Now, here's the problem, okay? The PCR is not telling you you have COVID-19. The PCR is saying that there is enough product in the epithelial tissue that they're sampling that they can multiply through the PCR technique to state that you have SARS-CoV-2. That's what it's saying. It's not saying you have COVID-19. You have to have further clinical presentation, like pneumonia, a fever, uh, some sort of immune response, some other thing happening. So you could test positive for SARS-CoV-2. See the way they, the way it's spun in the media and it's, and it's published on the John Hopkins database is kind of misleading. A positive case is for SARS-CoV-2, not COVID-19. That's an important point to un- understand. The other point is, is that a lot of the people, uh, a, a lot of the testing, the nas- there's this, as you know, there's this, this um, swab, long swab that goes in, into the, the nasal cavity and it has to take tissue from the back of, back of the, the nasal back of the throat area okay now they're supposed to take six turns to get enough tissue there's a lot of cases where they're actually only doing one turn all right so there's a study with there's 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 in there's there's studies where it's saying six turns is the better method to have a higher accuracy because if you only do one turn you're actually getting more false negatives all right now this is that's what you really don't want yeah you that that's worrisome because what we're basically stating is is the numbers are higher than what they're publishing (laughs) because they're not turning it six times but but the they're they're in the community here's here's the problem with the the alt news community is is that they're 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 in this they're in they they know enough to be dangerous all right. You know, so they, they, they get a piece of knowledge and they extrapolate it and not fully understand the nuances like PCR is confirming SARS-CoV-2 virus in the epithelial tissue. It is not confirming you have COVID-19. You need other clinical presentations. You could have SARS-CoV-2 and not be COVID, and not have COVID-19 because COVID-19 is a disease. You could have a virus that's just sitting there in dormant, or you have such a low load and you have such a constitution in terms of your immune system that you, you're asymptomatic and you're, you don't have COVID 19. So, you know, it's a, diag- it's a diagnostic tool that is one piece of many other tests and cl- clinical presentations that leads a physician to say this individual has COVID 19. And there is the nuance, but the educate that you know, but but telling that to the public, because they, they have goldfish, you know, memory and, and and you know, and attention span, you know, they just say oh, PCR test, it's it's testing, and that means uh, I have it or I don't have it. No, you could test positive and not have COVID nineteen, but have SARS CoV two, and then you blow up their mind when you tell them that, their mind just explodes because they can't digest that the difference everything's black and white with them
0: oh that's so funny too because i i just heard a little boom coming from the chat window i think that is yeah his head definitely exploded somebody tell me that okay <laughs> all right well listen i appreciate that of course it's a great chat i really appreciate the the update and um, i assume you will be now getting back to studying till approximately dawn 3000 ad and, um, yeah, so do you want to just give people, and I'll put the links uh, in, in your rather mouthful of a website. Uh, I'll put your, your links in below, but if you wanted to mention it for those listening on the audio.
1: Yes, my, my website is the studio Um I have, I have three, basically, channels that I publish my videos. Uh, my main channel is on YouTube. It's called Paul Cottrell. The backup channel on YouTube is Dr. Paul Cottrell. But I'm moving my catalog all to Brighton. and uh, that is Dr. Paul Cottrell on Brighton. So uh, please subscribe and, and, you know, follow, you know, this whole trying to cover this whole journey of, of, of SARS-CoV-2 and beyond.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Paul. A great pleasure to chat as always, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.